Welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our light and our salvation. The light shines on us today from Paul's letter to the Church of Galatia, the last verses of chapter 4. Paul is concerned about the Galatian church as they want to go back to slavery. This has been a theme throughout the whole letter, to be to be under guardianship of the law. But now he flushes out the problems with such a plan with a strange connection to Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah. Kind of interesting. We'll get dig into that today. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you to them. If you want more information, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us this morning, and I'm glad we do, because hopefully he has a lot of answers with this strange part of Scripture, Pastor Ross Engel of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Middleburg, Florida, and also a Naval Chaplain in the Reserves of the United States Naval Corps. Pastor Engel, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, awesome. It is uh, great to hear your voice. And as we gather here today, it is negative uh, 10 in Minnesota. Tell me about Middleburg, Florida. Uh, in Middleburg today, it is a balmy uh, 68 degrees today, but we're going up to 81 is the high. So eventually oh, we'll, Lord, we'll heat up, mercy. I guess. Good for you. I know Good it's, for you. it's a bit of a change from, from the, the cold tundra <laughs> north there that you find yourself in. Oh, my. Oh, my. Because you have, I mean, I love doing this, and I don't know if uh, uh, everyone has it, but you have Minnesota connections. You, your mom, is your mom is from Minnesota? She is. um, Minnesota, Elmore, Minnesota. Elmore, Minnesota. So every once in a while, if I'm around folks from Minnesota, as I hear your voice, I'm going to be tempted to (laughs) dig out the... uh, the yeah, sure, you betcha us from, from Minnesota because I grew up hearing that from my cousins. And Absolutely. It, it, it Absolutely. warms my heart to hear the, the, that, that accent at the end of your voice there. I, I'm trying hard, and uh, it's just the way it is. So anyways, uh, uh, making Pastor Engel. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Hopefully God's Word will as well. Anyways, but it, as we get into this today, I think this is your first time on Thy Strong Word. Am I correct? Yes, it is. Okay, so can you do this for us? We have new listeners all the time. I'm still relatively new here, but just over a month into this. Can you give us an introduction of yourself and this work of the saints at uh, at St. Peter's and maybe even a little bit about your uh, work as a chaplain? Sure. Um, so I've been a pastor here at St. Peter's Lutheran Church down in Middleburg, Florida, which is in uh, northeast Florida outside of Jacksonville. Um, been here for about 10 and a half years, and... Uh, we're a we're a congregation in a, a probably I think the fastest growing county in Florida. Um, a lot of construction going on, a lot of families moving in. We're a military town. Uh, we have within a within an hour's drive of our church, we have access to uh, three different naval bases and a couple Marine Corps installations. That's where I'm currently assigned as a reservist to one of the Marine Corps installations. Uh, we've got. Uh, um, a lot of uh, young families that come through, you know, three years, they're members at our church uh, as they're uh, uh, serving God and country here, um, come through our doors, uh, receive our Lord's gifts, and then and head off to the, the next uh, 
duty station. So a little bit of transient, a bit of community there as folks come and go. But uh, congregation is coming up on 38 years, I believe, uh, here mm-hmm. uh, in town. And we're, uh, I always tell folks we're the the moderate or medium, small-sized church wedged between the giant Catholic church to the north and the giant Baptist church to the south. And uh, we're kind of nestled right between them, both uh, geographically and uh, theologically. So, um, <laughs> but uh, we find ourselves here. Uh, it, it's it's a great little community, uh, very down to earth folks. And uh, the church uh, has a desire to reach out in the community. In fact, uh, just after uh, meeting with, or right before coming on this show today, we were meeting with architects to talk about how we might better meet the the needs of our community here with mm. uh, a potential for a building, a homeschool co-op. Uh, that's a big thing down here, homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, as a lot of parents are wanting to take sort of that uh, role in, in training up their kids and training them up not only in the faith, but um, in the things of life. So um, that's a big thing. Uh, but the church, we're a very, uh, I guess you could say we're very liturgical. They, we, we, we're a big chanting church. We love to sing. And so uh, I feel right at home here uh, every Sunday singing and uh, delivering our Lord's gifts. So um, it's a, been a very rewarding ministry uh, my time here. Uh, my chaplain work is, uh, takes me all over the place. Uh, I find myself traveling from time to time as reservists to, to support, as they say, the needs of the Navy. So right now I'm assigned to Marines, but that doesn't mean I don't also get to do, uh, put on the Navy uniform. So this summer I did four weeks, uh, taking care of sailors on board submarines. And, uh, my, my, my mobilization unit is out of Okinawa, Japan. So I don't see myself traveling there anytime soon. But uh, being attached to Marines, it means I get to go out and sleep in the field and eat MREs, uh, which MREs stand for all sorts of different things. But the standard one is meals ready to eat. Uh, nice. And, and they're really cool. You just, yeah, they're, they're, they're way, they're a lot of carbs, uh, a lot of carbs. <laughs> they're, you come back from a week in the field and the first thing my wife will say to me is, wow, your, your cheeks got fat while you were away. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was the, the MREs, but uh, the, the ministry oh, of the, the Marines and sailors is is always exciting. Um, they're looking for when you put on the, the, the cross as a chaplain, um, you you represent God to them. And so wherever you are, you bring the presence of God to them. And uh, whether they are Lutheran, Catholic, uh, whatever faith or no faith tradition they have, that's what they see you as uh, the person that's bringing God to them in the midst of the good and the bad that they're going through. And and it's a very unique relationship. Um, and one that I really enjoy, um, keeps me on my toes. You never know what someone's going to say when they say, Hey chaps, you got a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, kind of walking with them through the, the, the darkness and pointing them to the light. This is great. Thank you, Pastor Angle, for sharing that. First of all, obviously, thank you for uh, your service in our military. And also, it's it's really fun because we've had uh, guests on from California, uh, from Washington, from New Hampshire, and and where you are in Florida. Of course, we have uh, Pastor Dieterding, who's down in Fort Myers as well. But it's always neat to hear because it's the same word. It's the same gospel. It's the, the same gifts. But yet it manifests so differently, like in, in, in where I'm at in Minnesota and where these guys are in New Hampshire, can't even fathom the idea of having three or four naval bases nearby 
and then leaving our hat where we are and then going and serving the military the way you do and and what people are doing in Washington and California. It's all so different, but yet it's the same um, word of God, which just, to me, that's really exciting. That's really exciting. So thank you for sharing that. Reminder. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Reminder to our listeners today that if you have any questions as we go through this, to send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor Engel is, uh, it does very good, as he said, on his feet to answer questions. So try to bring a good one. Um, at the same time, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask our listeners, continue to ask you, our listeners, that what are you doing while you listen to Thy Strong Word? Uh, I know. Uh, for example, we've heard people write in to say that they're writing notes for their Bible study they were going to have at night. They were another person was doing their dishes. Another person was a couple is listening on Amazon Echo and they actually eat their lunch early so that they can focus in on thy strong word. Also, I got one yesterday from someone that says they do it when they work out. And I know, Pastor Engel, you are a uh, avid guy to work out. You have to in the military. Um, you proudly posted on Facebook that you're working out at 4 a.m. Did you get that workout in this morning? I uh, did not get my 4 a.m. workout <laughs> in today. Um, I, the one day I could have had the opportunity to say, yes, I did. I uh, did not. But <laughs> Exactly. I so do have a set of uh, war clubs in my office, so maybe I'll work out while we do the radio show. That's right. Um, get some push-ups in. Yeah. Push-ups in. Anyways, <laughs> but as we begin looking at Galatians chapter 4, Pastor Engel, will you please bring us in prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my faithfulness and my fortress, my stronghold and my savior, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. Bless us this day, Lord, as we study your word, which is our rock, and as your word is our sword and shield protecting us, help us wield it faithfully that we may proclaim Christ crucified to those who receive your word. Uh, Lord, we are but a breath. And yet in that breath, you give us life. And in this life, you work through us to bring your hope and your gospel to the nation. So bless our time today together and let it be edifying not only for us who discuss, but also for all those who listen at home today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, we're looking at the end of chapter four. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that happen through these first three and four and a half chapters. And we get to 21 through 31. There's a lot we could highlight. Pastor Engel, where do you want us to start or with some background information to help us out as we get to, I would say today's verses are confusing. So what are some things to help us out as we look at background and context? Well, um, looking looking at the background and context, this is in the greater letter to uh, Gala the, the, the church in Galatia, and, and I'm sure you've already covered this in previous episodes. This is where Paul kind of says, who's bewitched you, uh, you foolish Galatians, um, who has led you astray, who's kind of confounded your thinking. And, and just before we dive into this 21 through 31, um, verse 20 has this language of, I'm at a loss about you. Uh, I'm perplexed by you. And, and I think... I think Paul kind of finishing up that previous section and jumping into this uh, shows his pastoral heart. He he's he's scratching his head. He's he's preached to these people. He's taught them. He loves these people and cares for them um, mm. very pastorally, and and just doesn't understand how they could, after having heard and received this word of gospel, 
um, go running back to the the thing that they're doing. I mean, they're they're defecting back to the law, and he doesn't understand. So he's at a loss. He's perplexed. And I think that's that's where we find ourselves kind of leading into today. Um, he goes from this. I'm at a loss, and he comes up with this. I guess you could say this sermon illustration to then give them uh, perhaps an understanding of what they're doing, uh, what they're running back to um, instead of grasping the gospel. And one of the things, exactly right, it shows his pastoral heart, because he has so many times he talks about being sons and heirs, and then he pulls into his concern. Even in verse 11, he says, I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. And like you said, I'm perplexed about you, he says right before these verses today. And I think that is an important break for us to make because it reminds me of how when we, when you have someone that you do really care for, whether it's in the church or just in your everyday life, that there's a lot of times we're just confused on what's going on. And it's not necessarily Paul going after them and saying, you know, you idiots, what are you doing? It's a, a real concern. I don't understand why you do what you do. Um, and it mm-hmm. relates to Romans 7. I don't understand why I do what I do, <laughs> but he's, <You're> right. <laughs> he's definitely grieving, even though he does say strong language. I'm astonished. He never doesn't even get thanks for the Galatians at the beginning, but he gives thanks throughout the epistle. And here he doesn't say thank, thanks for them, but you can tell how much he cares about them. So when he speaks this mm-hmm. language about Hagar and Sarah, it's very important for us to, to understand this um, deep, love and care that he has for the churches in Galatia and also the implications of what they're saying. This isn't an argument over um, uh, the car of the carpet. This is not a, a um, there is <laughs> one gospel and they're denying it. And so he is right. greatly perplexed. Um, one more point that I want to hear more from you before we get to it is I think he's doing this kind of move. I've said this before. It's kind of like when you ask your dad or you ask somebody that you dearly respect and you say, what do you think about this? And then they say the, the words that you know you have to sit for a while. Let me tell you a story. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And that's what he's doing. So other background you want to, I mean, to jump on that or get right to verse 21? Well, I, I think Paul is able to do some things that, that we don't do. And I, I know um, we're going to get into that as we, we dive into the text, but, but I think Paul is very comfortable. Uh, I mean, this was, Paul was the, the, the Jew of the Jews. He was the rabbi of rabbis. He was, uh, he was instructed by the best. He was an up and comer. So, I mean, he knows his, his old Testament history and background and scripture. Um, and so I think that gives him a, a, an ability to wield the old Testament in a way that, um, that, that demonstrates his understanding. You know, when, when you read uh, after Easter, right, you get the account of Jesus opening the minds of the disciples and suddenly they understand the scriptures and they see Jesus throughout yeah. them. Um, Paul has, has that experience. He, he knows the Old Testament perhaps better than the, the 12 disciples did. And, and his mind has been open now to see Christ as that golden thread throughout it. And, and so he does some things with his teaching and this account here in 21 to 31 that I tell you what, I, when you, when you told me this is what we were going to talk about today, I, I, I thought, great. Uh, I'm going to be on <laughs> candid camera today because this is not an easy 
this is one of those texts when it shows up in the lectionary that you say, I think I'm going to preach on the gospel today. That's um, right. That because is exactly this, right. Is di- this is a difficult uh, reading at first glance. Um, but but as we get into <laughs> it, I think we're going to find it's not nearly as, as, uh, as daunting um, as it first looked. <laughs> and and you and you said it so well. There's a golden thread that goes throughout all of Scripture. And for you, our listeners, this is an important piece for you to remember: is that if you read the Old Testament without that golden thread of Christ, God looks like a terrorist. All He is is attacking people that don't do what He wants you to do. But if you don't see the golden thread as pointing to Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, then we look at God in a a completely unhelpful way that that seers consciences does not help us at all see the grace and glory of God because it all is founded back on Christ. So thank you for pointing that out. It's always a good reminder for all of us. Well, let's get into the text. I'm ready to go. Verse 21, reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. Right away, he gets into it. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Okay, we see kind of a, he he goes from perplexed to direct, okay? And it's good to remember, he's perplexed, loving and caring. Now he's bringing it back once again. He's being abrupt. You who want to be under the law, do not listen to the law. So what is he saying here, Pastor? The law is a terror, right? You want to be under the law, but do you not listen to the the? things that the law demands of you, the, the impossibleness, uh, love. If you take Jesus summary, right? love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You, you want to be under that. Um, and you think you can do it. Do you not listen to the threat connected to it? Um, and, and that's the thing with the law, right? It's, it, it's always conditional. If you do this, then I will do that. Uh, the problem is you can't do this. Um, you can't accomplish the law. You might get, you know, 50% on a rough day, 75 on a good day, 90 on a great day, but you're always going to fall short. And and the law is going to condemn you and, and get you. And and that's what you want to run back to. Um, I, I think that's where his, his question is sort of a, you've got to be kidding me. Um, you, don't you understand what you're asking for? And I think that's what he's getting at, right? With that introductory kind of salvo. I'm perplexed about you. I'm concerned for you. Um, do you not know what you're asking for? It's like in the Old Testament when they, when the Israelites demand a king and God's like, all right, I'll give you a king, but you better know what you're asking for. Uh, same thing here <laughs> with the law. You want the law, but you better know what you're asking for. And that's, yeah, if you're going to do this, let's step up a notch and let's start talking about what that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that's a big part of Galatians is that he's saying, okay, This is what you want, and he goes back and forth of showing the promise, and this is a major theme here, and then he shows what this really would look like if you were to go this far. One thing, you know, that we do a lot nowadays that you'll say, okay, you want to go by the law? Then you just go straight down the Ten Commandments. Okay, let's go down. And people feel pretty good until they get to, like, um, until they get to the Eighth Commandment. You know, you have some people like, well, I stole once when I was a kid, no big deal. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah, I didn't physically harm them, even though I probably got, you know, all these other things. But then they get to the Eighth, and then they finally started saying, okay, one isn't so bad, right, Pastor? <laughs> so, right. And, and that's what he's trying to peel yeah. back here, is to show them, listen, 
let's begin with your identity again. But if you're going to go here, you're not even listening to your own law. You're not even doing what you're mm-hmm. supposed to be doing. So it, it's yeah. it's very, <laughs> it goes back and forth. They're not even doing what they say they actually are doing. Any last right. thoughts on verse 21? No, I, I, I think that's, I think let's move into the. All right. Because now you're going to get the story, right? Now, now, now comes the story. Here it is. You went to your dad. You said, what do you think of this? Son, let me tell you a story. Here it comes. 22 to 23. For it is written. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. I want to stop there just to be able to make sure we're on the same page uh, as far as who is he talking about. He's not upfront exactly with the exact words of who they are right away, at least. And he doesn't unpack the story like you would expect. So who is he talking about here? Who are the two sons and who are the the, the slave woman and the free woman? Mm. So obviously Paul had to have done some catechesis of teaching the scriptures to them for them to catch this reference. Um, so they have to know first who Abraham is, um, mm-hmm. and then the story of his two sons. And so the slave woman would be Hagar, uh, and that son is Ishmael, and the free woman then Sarai, or Sarah, and that son would be Isaac, the son of the promise. Um, and so right away, we've got some some huge distinctions there that are taking place, right? That um, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a, a great nation uh, from you, uh, offspring as numerous as the sands on the seashore, stars in the sky. I mean, all that beautiful promise language. And then time passes and no children come. And Sarah takes it upon herself and says, well, we're getting, we're, we're not getting any younger. So why don't you have my slave, my, my servant Hagar? And so Abram does. And that's not what God's plan was. I mean, so Abram has a child with Hagar, names it Ishmael. And that's by permission from Sarah. God says, that's not what I had in mind. That's not what I meant. Uh, You're going to have a child with your wife, Sarah. And then they do. Um, And that's the one of the free woman, um, Isaac, a, a child born through a word of promise, right? So, the difference between Ishmael, a uh, child born of permission uh, from a wife, and Isaac, uh, the son of promise, born by a word of God. And, and anytime there's a child promised by God, you know, God does that awkward thing of, of not only telling you what you're going to have in the age before um, ultrasounds, but then tells you what you're going to name this child, right? I mean, you know, right. so so there's no surprise, hey, what what's the baby going to be? And you don't get the joy as a parent of naming the child, right? So I remember, you know, everyone, when, when you have your first kid and you tell everybody it's going to be a boy or it's going to be a girl and they, and they say, oh, pastor, you know, why can't you do it the old fashioned way where you just are surprised on the day of your birth? That's when you say, <laughs> no, I'm doing it the biblical way where we found out from another, per- from another, oh, what we would have. Oh. All right. And so, uh, the you know, biblical John the Baptizer, way. Jesus, Isaac, all these people, uh, God told them what they're going to have and then what to name it, uh, what to name the right. child. So, <laughs> Wow. Wow. I think that's a good, 
whenever pastors especially will do this, whenever you want to just make your point to us, you just say, well, this is the biblical way. And then, uh, right. you know, Boom. then it just, it works. Shuts it, it down. Works, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what we have here, and this is an important distinction too, is that, that Paul is a Old Testament theologian. I mean, he's a guy that probably would have taught Old Testament exegesis in the seminary if he would have taught there because he so beautifully connects all these things. Today is incredibly confusing. So I'm glad you set you set it up so beautifully as far as the story. This goes back to Genesis. I encourage our listeners that if you want to look at this, Genesis 12 through 16, 17, around there to read that. You get the full understanding of the Hagar um, Sarai Abram story, a true story. I want to say it that way. Um, and, and all of this points to words that he uses of free woman and slave woman uh, born through a promise or flesh. Now, that is a lot to unpack. Um, and I think we'll be able to unpack it a little bit more as we move through these verses. But right now, what we know is there's Ishmael and he's according to the flesh. And there is Isaac, and he was the, the the born of the promise. Ishmael from Hagar, Isaac from Sarah. I want to be able to get to that even more um, uh, more deeply, but any last thoughts on that at this point, Pastor? Um, you know, as as I as I look at that, you have I'm thinking of that Genesis account, right? So so Hagar and Sarah, and it, it didn't turn out so well. For Sarah and Hagar's relationship, um, they ended up sending Hagar away, and um, you end up having this encounter with Hagar and and the the, the Lord, um, where where He gives her a word of comfort. Um, but but if you back up even before that, imagine imagine Sarah taking this into her own hands. Right, they have a word of promise from God, and, and time passes mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen. Um, Sarah gives her husband permission to to try to have a kid with her servant. I mean, and 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 I thought about this earlier in the week. Is it an act of humility? Is it demeaning herself mm. and her marriage in that sacred bed, believing that that's what God had desired? I mean, is is that willingness to offer Hagar an act of trusting in God, um, and it? Or is it a man doing what man does and saying, I have this word of promise and, and clearly I have to do my part to make it happen. So this might be my part. And then God has to step in and, and say, no, this is, you needed to trust me. This was my word of promise. Um, you didn't need to try and do things your way. I mean, right, right. I, I mean, I wouldn't go necessarily to preach it in that allegorical sense of, you know, what we learned from this story is when God makes you a promise, don't take you know, matters in your own hands, but, but the same part, I I think there's, there's a bit of that. And these are human people, right? And human people, when God doesn't seem to act the way that we think he should act, um, tend to take matters into our own hands. um, And that doesn't typically work out so well for us. At least in my experience, it, it doesn't tend to work out so well. Absolutely. And, and you know, as we I want to be able to jump on that after our break, because it is the problem is the Galatians want to take things into their own hands instead of the promise of God. Beautiful connection for us and obviously always points us to Christ. But right now we need to take a break. We are studying Galatians chapter four with Pastor Ross Engel. We'll be right back.
Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We're studying Galatians chapter 4 with Pastor Ross Engel. And we had just gotten done with uh, speaking about Sarah, Sarai, and Hagar. And what is this? Uh, an act of humility? Is it an act of trying to uh, uh, be faithful to God in a very strange way? Or is it taking everything into your own hands? That is an issue for the Galatians. And let's be honest, an issue for us. Now Paul is going to unpack it in a beautiful way. And he's going to use a word that we don't always hear at least I don't always use, but I know we learned it at seminary, allegory. What is he talking about? So let's read verses 24 and 25, and we will learn more. Paul says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for, uh, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Okay, here we go. Allegory. Pastor Engel, what is allegory? Uh, so allegory is, I, I looked it up, a story, poem, picture <laughs> that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically something that's moral or political, or in this case, theological, right? Um, and we've all heard allegory. Uh, sometimes they show up in sermons, uh, narrative style sermons sometimes have them. Um, I suppose anytime we use a personal story in a sermon, it's, it's a bit allegorical. Um, this one's a pretty, Paul's using an actual historical real event that they would have known of from scripture. Um, and he's sort of teasing it out to show them exactly. I mean, he's using the story to, to delve into something far deeper. And, and I think Paul, Paul's pretty comfortable Right, he uses allegory in his preaching and teaching throughout his epistles. Um, Jesus did too, right? And and mm-hmm. and I think it's important to see that not every preacher is blessed enough to be able to do this effectively, right? I mean, <laughs> we've all heard sermons where the story is, eclipses the message. Um, I can think of a few from seminary that I heard where I still remember the story, but uh, don't know exactly the the end goal. Of, of that story. And I know one year I preached a Christmas story that I thought was beautiful. It was allegory. It was, it was, it was beautiful. And I had a whole lot of people walk out of church, uh, scratching their head and, uh, very confused. Um, and that was <laughs> kind of a, a sermon. Yeah. You know, it was, and then the sad thing was, it was our highest attended Christmas at this church in the 10 and a half years I've been here. And we've not <laughs> seen that kind of attendance since. And I, I kind of blame that, that sermon maybe, uh, it was just, oh, it was next on. level. Right. Like, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, oh, Paul is pretty bold here. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading to study up for, for our conversation today, Luther in his commentary on uh, Galatians comments that he would not have been so bold to say some of the things that Paul declared. And and Luther was wow. a pretty bold preacher. So yeah. for him wow. to kind of pump the brakes on it, that that says something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does. yeah. 
And so, so the he, allegory then here is this, this, these, these two women. So obviously they really ex- existed and Paul's using this to, to teach them something greater from the story. Um, like you, like you read two covenants, Sinai, mm-hmm. uh, and slavery. Um, and then, and how, how far did you read through 25, right? So we've got Hagar, 25 Sinai. Yep. And then Jerusalem as well, which is kind of the the shocker, right? To present Jerusalem. Um, and then you get in 26, which we'll get to soon, but Jerusalem above. So Hagar as Mount Sinai and Hagar as city of Jerusalem. I mean, and he's using it all to point to slavery, um, right? which makes you scratch your head, right? I mean, we understand Mount Sinai as the place where the law is given. And Luther notices some changes um, or some connections between the language there of, of Hagar and Sinai and Arabic and stuff like that. But Jerusalem, we don't typically think of as, as the place of, of the law. And so I actually had to do some, some deeper digging to, to understand what he was getting at with, with Jerusalem and, uh, and the, and not, I don't want to go too far if we're not ready to go there yet, but, but Jerusalem in, in, in reference here is, is all law, right? There, Mm-hmm. Jerusalem of Paul's day is 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 the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and all these people who are do this, don't do that, threat and punishment. Um, and that's the earthly Jerusalem, the, the place where you must go here uh, to do this and you must not do this or that. And so Jerusalem then becomes like another Mount Sinai, a mountain where laws come forth. And it's, it's, it, it, this is very helpful because he packs on about, feels like about eight, 20, 30 different references. So you're, you're trying to figure out what he's all saying. He says, okay, you got Hagar. That's a covenant. There's Mount Sinai in Arabia. He says it twice, you know, okay, by the way, that's one in Arabia. And then he corresponds to present Jerusalem. And then he makes this emphasis, which we already understand with Hagar. This is slavery. And as you said, Present Jerusalem is a place of law. So clearly, and they do this in chapter three as well, is that the law brings you back to slavery. And he's making every possible connection that a Jewish person and probably even a Gentile will be able to coordinate with this. Okay, yeah, Mount Sinai, I've heard of that. That's where the law was brought. In, or brought. Um, that's Hagar. Yep, slave. Okay, got that. Present Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. We know those Jerusalemites. We know those people there. They got nothing but rules when you walk in the door. So he's making that connection, even though, as you said, it's kind of hard to put in the brain. It's pretty bold. <laughs> it's bold allegory. Yeah. Figurative speaking, the law equals slavery. Is that is that what what we're what we're hearing? That's what he's getting to, I think, because mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, as as we preach and proclaim law and gospel, the law always kind of binds people to, to what they need to do and what they can't do. Um, and so as soon as we think that we can wield the law to make ourselves righteous before God or right before others, um, we will always find that we fall short. Right. And, and so then we're forced with either lowering the bar for ourselves, um, so that we can get over or trying to sneak under it and, you know, go unnoticed for our breaking of the law. And so we end up being slaved to, uh, to the expectations, I guess, of the law 
rather than the freedom that then comes with the gospel. And so, I mean, the fact that he's writing this to Galatians who are, who have been set free by the gospel and mm-hmm. these folks are defecting back to the, the, the law, he's, you guys really want this? This is, you guys know, like you said, you know what those Jerusalemites are like. As soon as you walk into town, you got to do this, this, and this. You, you, if you're this, you can't enter this part of the temple. If you're that, you got to do. And so he's saying, are you really, that's what you want to run back to? Um, you, you're children of the free, um, the the Eleuthera, the, the freed ones. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it, it confounds the mind, but we, we do it all. I mean, Mm-hmm. We all want the comfort of the law because it gives us a list, right? We we can say, "Hey, I did good today," um, and so we can actually rest on our laurels. We can we can look at what we've accomplished and, and actually feel confident that we're not a bad person because we did these things and we didn't do those things. Um, and the gospel doesn't really give you a it doesn't give you a checklist. Um, it gives you a word, and you're supposed to trust in that word. And 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 we don't. People don't, they, they need more, right? They need more. So they're running and, back to the law. And it was fun. Yesterday I was sitting with one of our uh, uh, one of our lay leaders, and he made a comment that I think is so important for us to think about for Galatians, especially is he made a comment that we are the church of the done. And I was mm. like, okay, I think I think you're doing a Peeperism, or excuse me, uh, Francis Peeper wrote the Christian dogmatics back in the day for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And, and one of the comments he makes there is two kind of churches, the do or done. Um, you ha- Either you have to do something for salvation or it's already been done. And so evidently, um, I have a lay leader that read Peeper. I'm not sure. Anyways, um, <laughs> so he said that and it was wonderful language. And he's speaking in to the Galatians. I mean, this is what my lay, uh, one of my leaders was doing. He's like, listen, you're the church of the done. Why are you trying to do so much? Calm down, receive the gifts, move on, stop worrying about this darn circumcision. All right. You're part mm-hmm. of the done. Here it is. And, and he's, you want to talk about uh, do here? You have it. Mount Sinai. You know, there's a lot, a lot of rules there. Hagar. Well, you know, that didn't work out so well. Um, and he says it twice, you know, about Mount Sinai. And then he says, and let's think about those people in Jerusalem, not the people you want to go to for the sake of a clear conscience. Any other thoughts on that before we get to, so we have the, we have the law, <laughs> we have Hagar, mm-hmm. and then we'll get to more of the promise. Last thoughts on the law? I'm getting kind of wore out here. So go ahead. What do you got? Well, the only other thing that kind of stands out is he makes a reference to Mount Sinai in Arabia. And Right, and I almost wonder if there's a if he puts that reference in there because of the the knowledge that from the the child of Hagar, Ishmael, um, comes then, um, I guess what would we say the the Islamic tradition, um, sure, which then finds its birthplace in our, in in Arabia, um, and which is then also a law centered re- uh, religion. Um, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's then taking this to a place that Paul isn't meaning to do it, but uh, but in our modern context, when we read that, I, I see Arabia, and right away I'm reminded of of the lineage of Ishmael and the division mm-hmm. because you know Islam takes its you know they call Abraham father as well, but they trace then their line through Ishmael rather than Isaac, and and I just right. I'm curious from a I, I don't know if this is not necessarily a preaching thing, but um, is that a is that a connection Paul is is making, but he only makes it briefly and then moves forward. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know. 
I read a few commentaries on, or not a few commentaries, a few different references, I should say. And one of them was that exactly is that um, this is what you get when you are uh, when in Arabia. This is what you end up with is is the following Ishmael and understanding the law being the most important and never the assurance of anything. I also heard, you know, when Paul was uh, converted, you know, he went to Arabia for a time. It talks about this in Galatia. And so he kind of was like, I've seen it. I've been there. You don't want to go there, folks. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. go to that place. Okay. <laughs> this is where you want to be in Galatia and you want to live in freedom. I saw that reference as well. So we'll have to leave that to the, uh, well, you know, I always encourage our listeners, if you want to do a paper on anything, two-page paper, send it to Pastor Engel and he'll tell me about it. Um, verse 25, what is going on with Hagar and Arabia and Mount Sinai? So you've been challenged. I look we'll forward to the happens. paper. That's right. Verse, uh, let's, let's move on, verses 26 through uh, 27. But the Jerusalem above, so we have present Jerusalem, now we have Jerusalem from above, is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who who has a husband. So once again, he goes back to the Old Testament. He quotes, uh, I believe it's Isaiah 54, verse 1, and tells them to rejoice because they know who their, quote, mother is. Thoughts on this text? Because it, it is a change. He's not focusing on the, on the law so much. Now he's talking about freedom and the Jerusalem above. What is he talking about? Well, right away, I'm, I'm reminded of the, that language of being born from above, right? The, the mm -hmm. spiritual birth, the, the, the spiritual birth, which is um, faith in a word, right? And, and here then it's tied to the Jerusalem above being our mother. And, and I'm reminded of that old saying, you can't have God as your father without the church as your mother. And, and what's the church but a place where uh, the faith is delivered, proclaimed, so that... Um, that as that word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit brings faith in the hearers. Um, and so this, this seems for me, actually, this whole section seems to be dripping with some of that baptismal imagery of, of you know, born of the flesh or born of the spirit. Um, are you and being born of the spirit or born of above um, mm -hmm. is then uh, a faith uh, related thing. And so the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. So this is, this is not a birth by flesh, but a birth by promise. And, and I think that's where the correspondence then with Ishmael and Isaac comes. One was born with a word of promise and one was not. And, and the one was just born of the flesh. So they both claim Abraham as their father, but, and both were born of his flesh, but only one is born of, of the word and the promise. And, and that's the one from above. And, and, and that's what we have. That's why we can sing that great Sunday school song, Father Abraham had many sons, not because we're born of his flesh, but rather because we're born of the, that faith, that trust, that promise of God. And that's a great line as far as God is our father and the church is our mother, because that really definitely brings that understanding of born from above, born in freedom. You know, the church is, is free in Christ. She is our mother. And that's why he transitions from that understanding and proclamation of 
freedom. This is who you are. Uh, you are. You belong. You're a child. This goes to adoptions. Adoption of sons in uh, in the beginning of chapter four. Wonderful language, and it tells us here to rejoice. Why are we? I mean, it's it's kind of quick. He's going from Hagar, da 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 da, dun dun dum, and now he gets to freedom and rejoice. What what are we rejoicing mm-hmm. over here? Are we rejoicing over the freedom? Are we are we rejoicing out of the 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 simple fact like rejoice in fertile one, you who do not give birth? Suddenly, you know, Sarah was was old. Her womb had been shut. She was barren, and and imagine the rejoicing. And maybe the, the 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 hint of terror that she must have felt to to know that she at her old age was was going to be birthing a child and now raising a, a child, but but rejoice! I I was I was closed off. I was separated. I was shunned because you know barrenness. You know, children. I mean, the psalmist says children are like. Is it the psalmist that says it, or is it Isaiah that talks of children as being a you know arrows in a quiver? Um, mm. And to not have children was was that was the end of your family line. You were, um, you were forced to do things like Sarah did, giving her, her husband, uh, who had, you know, promised to be with her, uh, to to a slave person to then birth children. Um, obviously, the humiliation of that, and so now there's no reason to be filled with sorrow. Rejoice now, now I have, I have a child. I I, I have one given to me by promise from God, and and so it's then. It's not just the the fleshly birth of a child, but hey, God kept His promise. He He said it would be so, and, and it is. And and so break forth with a shout. Um, and it's the way God works, right? He He has the barren give birth. The the virgins are with child, um, and those who who have become those who who have not. And and it's just this complete flipping of how we as humans would think things to happen. And yet God does it with, with a word, a word of promise. Um, and so we rejoice because it is, it's a, it's a flipping of, of the script, I guess you could say it, you know, if, if you or I were to write the, the salvation narrative, would we come up with a virgin giving birth? Would we, would we come up with, a uh, uh, an 80 year old woman, uh, birthing mm. a, a son for her 90 year old husband? Uh, probably not. Um, that that probably no. wouldn't be my story. <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't work well in the newspapers. It wouldn't be that exciting on a, even a movie would not be that exciting to be able to do this. It goes against comprehension, which which is why it's, it's very confusing language when it talks about kind of like Hagar and Ishmael bad and and um, Sarah and and Isaac good because it's just confusing. The allegory is confusing. His focus is. If you're gonna, if you if you are um, gonna go down this law realm, and and figure it out, well, you are going to the law. You're basically you're the Hagar part of this story, that you are the slave. You're putting yourself into slavery, and there's a lot of things happening here that is not good. What we don't want to do is do a few things. Number one, we don't want to make it look like you know Ishmael. Um, was born, never should have been born or something. Um, it's just it's right. just what it is. There's evil in the world. 
those things happen. We also don't want to make Sarah look holy in all this because she literally gave up her husband to another woman as if that was holy right. or godly or that made up for it because she had a baby or something. It, it, we, I feel like when I was reading this, uh, Pastor Angle, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. I felt like I was just kind of going back and forth and saying, oh, my goodness, how would I clean this up if someone preached this sermon? <laughs> because you're like, oh, how does this work? I don't know. Um so any thoughts on that? We have about eight minutes here, and I wanted to get through the rest, but I really want to make sure we get to this Isaiah 54 and make sure we have that figured out before we move on. So any thoughts as we try to bring this together? Um, I, I think coming into this, there's the, the obviously the dynamic of, of, of the slave and the free, um, but if, mm-hmm. if you're looking for the, the preaching proclamation of this, typically we're going to be preaching to a congregation of people who have heard the gospel, who have been uh, born from the Jerusalem above because they have faith. And, and so then I think then you get, if, if you really want to tie in the Hagar and Sarah distinction, the Isaac and Ishmael distinction, um, you could preach in the context. And, and it was it was actually Dr. Uh, Veltz who who got me kind of turned on to this. We had him on our podcast um, a couple weeks ago, and he he really tied in the big distinction between being the son and heir and being the son, but not the heir. And the mm. son and heir means you have blessings now as a son, but you have more to come. If you're the son, but not the heir, you have blessings now as a son, but nothing to come. And the distinction there, so if you, if you are of Ishmael, if you're the son of the slave, yeah, you may have blessings now for keeping the law, but there's nothing more to come. All you have is what you you have here. Um, but if you're the son and the heir, then you have the blessings of God even now as you live, but with the knowledge that there is more to come. And the more to come is promised to you in that word of promise, the gospel, the resurrection, uh, life everlasting. And uh, it's good to be the son and the heir. Um, because the son and the heir trusts in that word from God, right? Just as God said. Right. And, and I think that's, that's where the, the gospel connection then is, because that's the people who are hearing our proclamation on Sunday. That you are a dis- true descendant of Abraham, the offspring in faith. That's, you know, it, it, that, and you have the, the, um, well, that's beautifully put together by Dr. Velt, as always, is is this mm-hmm. understanding of the, you have the Gentile, the Judaizers are coming in and saying, if you're not circumcised, you are like Ishmael. You're basically illegitimate sons. And Paul comes in and says, listen, um, if you're uncircumcised believers, you know what? Actually, in faith, you correspond to Isaac. You are a son of the promise. And this would have just caused an issue way beyond whether or not they could have uh, hot dogs or uh, whatever at the, at the potluck. It was an identity <laughs> issue of who you are. Are you free or are you a slave? And he is saying, because of Christ, you are free. And rejoice, O church, that Christ has come for you. Let's finish out the rest of these verses, uh, 28 through 31, and wrap it up. We have about five minutes left here. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who had been born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what, what did the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So brothers, 
we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. There's there's good things here, <laughs> but it yes. also can be a little <laughs> bit strange as well. So how do you want to close this out for us as we hear of being um, the children of promise and of freedom? I think as you hit on that twenty nine verse twenty nine that uh, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit. I think there is uh, an acknowledgement that those born of the spirit are always going to be persecuted um, mm. by those of the law. Um, Cain and Abel, right? Luther makes the distinction in this uh, in his commentary here, showing that from Cain and Abel, um, there was the they were both born, um, but the one born of of this, the spirit Abel uh, is, is killed by the one who was born only of the flesh um, and, and, mm. and so on and so on through history. This, this is sort of the thing that happens. Um, and as you endure persecution for being uh, born from above, born of the spirit, born according to the spirit, a son and an heir, um, the promises that the, the slave woman and her son, the, the ones who are adherents to the law, not born from above, will not always be able to persecute us. There will be a day when their time of persecution, when their influence, when their um, affliction upon us will be over um, because, and you read at the ESV, the, the, the Greek kind of picks up the, this flow focus here that the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. And, and it reads mm. just a little bit different than the ESV. So that the idea that the slave woman is not going to have the stuff to come that the son of the free woman does have. And so there is a time when we will be persecuted, but in the, in the day of our Lord, when he returns, that will end because we have something to come. We have the, the end of the world is, is not the end of the world for us because it's already come in Christ, which is a whole nother topic. Right. But, mm -hmm. but we have then the knowledge that, that we have something to look forward to. Um, that we have the resurrection, we have the spiritual, uh, the, the word of God that has promised us a, a spiritual birth by which we believe and have faith um, also gives us the promise that on that last day, we will rise uh, and all who, who believe to eternal life. And, and so brothers and sisters, we're not children of a slave woman, but of a free woman, which means we have uh, something to look forward to, something to come. And, and that little quote from, was that from Isaiah, the drive out the slave woman and her son language? Um, is that where that? I think so. Is I from? think so. I didn't. Okay. Um, uh, you know what? I, just I don't seems... know. Oh, you're confusing me. Okay, go ahead. I'm not, I'll look it up here. Uh-oh. Oh, that's from Genesis. I, I'm curious. That's from that... Genesis. That's from Genesis. Is it from Genesis? Mm -hmm. Okay. 21. Um, yep. So that's in from the Hagar and Ishmael stuff from the beginning. Okay. Yep, um, yep. So what a what a beautiful promise all the way then that's carried through scripture um, that Paul then kind of grabs onto to say, just as this promise was made, uh, just as this was declared in Genesis. Um, so I now tell you, um, and, and, and he's using it sort of as a, don't go chasing the law. Don't, don't go chasing, think you can live according to the law um, because they're not going to be an heir. Uh, the ones who are going to be the heir are the ones who are the son of the free woman, the ones who are born from above, the Jerusalem above, and have faith in this gospel promise. And and so he loves them, right? We're brothers and mm -hmm. sisters. We're not children of a slave, but of the free. Uh, you almost think that at that point, it'd be like dot, 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 where, where you'd say something like, so stop running back to be a child of a slave, um, right. but live in the freedom that you have 
in Christ. Uh, I mean, it doesn't say that, but that's how, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, that's the saying. gist of it that I get, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So here's what I'm going to say. He ends with, you are not children of slave, but of the free woman. Chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. That's what we have. We are sons and heirs. The blessings are now, and the blessings are still yet to come. Pastor Engel of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Middleburg, helping us today in Galatians chapter 4. Pastor Engel, help, thank you for pointing us to Christ and the son and the heir that we are. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me, Pastor Finner. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, thank you for the invitation. You bet. In the fullness of time, it is our Lord who has come to us, made us a son and heir, not of slavery. Don't point us back to the law for our hope, but point us from the law to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.